Chapter 12 I, I can't bear to look at it, Mandy cried, burying her head in Carrie's shoulder. It's so vicious. Carrie was so upset and surprised by the sight of the shredded rubber, he hadn't noticed that the windshield and front side windows had been shattered. A giant spreading spiderweb of cracks covered the windshield, illuminated by the stadium light. Triangles and squares of broken glass lay strewn on both sides of the car. Vicious was the right word. The words sent a sudden chill down his body. He shuddered. He looked around the darkening parking lot. The last cars were pulling away. Was the person who had done this to his car waiting around somewhere nearby, watching gleefully, feeling happy and satisfied, gloating over another successful attack on the well-being of Carrie Hart? Someone must hate you so much, Mandy said. She was so frightened by the sight of the battered car, she didn't realize that her words were scaring him even more. I'll get you home and then deal with the car, he said, his arm around her. He was shivering even though she was pressed against him. He made a conscious effort to stop shaking. He made a conscious effort to stop shaking, then gave up when he saw that he couldn't stop, that his shivers were caused by fear, not cold. He heard a scrabbling sound in the bushes at the side of the stadium wall. He peered into the darkness toward the sound. Was someone there? Was someone waiting for him, watching his every move? As he stared, shivering at the unmoving bushes, someone grabbed him from behind. He spun around. His throat had tightened. He couldn't breathe. Josh! He managed to get out. Didn't scare you, did I? Josh said. Jesse, his date, still squinting, giggled. Then they saw the Mustang. Oh, man, Josh said. Bad parking job. It isn't funny, Mandy said sharply. She's right, Josh, Jesse said quickly. Carrie, this is awful. Josh got very quiet. He was thinking hard. Carrie realized that Josh knew all about the car accident the year before. Maybe he was thinking about that, seeing Carrie's car all smashed like this. Of course, he wouldn't mention it if he was thinking about it. Do you think O'Brien and Malik did this? Josh asked. Those jerks would do anything if they thought... No, Carrie said quietly, trying not to let them see how badly he was shivering. They didn't do it. They apologized to me about last Sunday. Sal told them what happened to him was an accident. They apologized. This is a weird evening. Why don't we both give you a lift home? Jesse suggested. Yeah, Carrie agreed quickly. He had to sit down. He had to get out of that dark lot, away from the mutilated car. Good idea, Josh repeated, his mind elsewhere. No, Mandy said suddenly. No, she repeated so loudly that it startled everyone. That's okay, really. There's the bus. I'll just take the bus. She began running toward the bus stop, waving to the driver to stop. Hey, Mandy, Carrie called after her. I'll call you. Night, she called back. She was running at top speed across the parking lot to the bus. No, wait! Carrie started running after her, but she jumped into the bus and it pulled away. He watched her standing in the aisle even though she was the only passenger. He stood watching until the bus became two red taillights against the darkness, and then faded completely from view. That's strange, he said with a shrug, walking quickly back to Josh and Jesse. Was it something I said? Josh asked. Jesse gave him a poke in the ribs. Stop it, Josh. She was very upset about this, Carrie said, gesturing to his pitiful-looking wreck of a car. I guess he just wanted to get away from it. Right, Josh agreed, a little too quickly. Why had Mandy run off like that? Carrie wondered. She really had seemed more frightened and upset than he was. So why didn't she want a ride home in the safety of Josh's car, among friends? The three of them crossed the empty parking lot to Josh's car, his father's new Oldsmobile Cutlass. Who would want to do a thing like that to you, Carrie? Jessie asked, her hands pushed tightly into the pockets of her large down coat. 
Only about 300 kids that I can think of, Josh said, refusing to be grim despite Jesse's pokes and dirty looks. But Sal explained to O'Brien and Malik that, Carrie began, his voice coming out a whine, his body shivering nonstop now. He didn't explain it to everyone in school, Josh said, starting up the car. This wasn't a typical prank, Jesse said, her analytical mind working hard. Jesse was a science freak, and she approached every problem, everything that happened in her life, with the thoroughness of a scientist. This seems to be the work of a crazy person. Jesse, stop, Josh said heatedly. A crazy person. A crazy person. The words repeated in Carrie's mind. Crazy? Donald. Donald was crazy. At least he was in a place for crazy people. Only he had escaped. Would his own brother be out there now, plotting against him, lying in wait for him, attacking his car, ready to attack him? No, not Donald. Why would he even think such a thing? I'm really losing it, Carrie said aloud. Stay cool, Josh said. I'll take you home so you can call your dad, at least when you call the police. You know they'll come running. I don't get that, Jessie said. She had just started at Revere. She didn't know Carrie's dad was a cop. As Josh explained it to her, Carrie kept thinking about Donald. He had asked his father if he had any reason to be afraid of Donald. His father hadn't answered him. If only he could remember what had happened, the accident, the girl. But he couldn't. He could conjure up a flash of headlights, a screech of brakes, a scream, a cry of pain. That was a little more than before, but that was all. And now, a year later, he was riding through the darkness, shivering uncontrollably, wondering if Donald, his best friend, his idol, had reason to come after him, to attack. It was too insane. Here we are, Josh said, stirring Carrie from his troubled thoughts. Hey, you're home. Carrie shook his head. Sorry. Want us to come in with you? Jesse asked. No, Carrie answered quickly. No, I'll be fine, really. Would he be fine? Was someone waiting here in the bushes, waiting by the side of the house, waiting to grab him when he stepped out of the car? Stop it, he told himself. Just stop it, right now. Thanks for the lift, he said, trying to disguise the quivering of his voice, the shaking of his entire body. He knew he'd be okay once he got inside. I'll be fine. I'll call you tomorrow, Josh. Yeah, Josh said, yawning. If there's anything I can do to help. Thanks, Carrie said, climbing out of the car. He wanted to run inside the house as fast as he could, but he walked deliberately, slowly, up to the front stoop, turned and waved to them as they backed down into the sloping street, and then unlocked the door with a shaking hand and pulled himself quickly inside. He threw his coat on the floor and walked straight to the bathroom, where he was sick for a long time, violently, painfully sick. When he was finished, the trembling seemed to have stopped. He washed his face for a long time. He felt a little better, tired, but better. He walked quickly into the kitchen and turned on the light. Sean had been there and left. There were torn slices of bologna and Swiss cheese on the table, a used plate with bread crusts, spilled potato chips, and a half-empty glass of Coke. He frowned at Sean's sloppiness. He felt suddenly lightheaded. He guessed it was from vomiting so hard. He sat down on a kitchen chair until the dizziness passed. His mouth tasted sour. He thought he might be sick again. He picked up the kitchen phone receiver. He hoped his dad could come home right away. He'd be angry and upset about the car, but Carrie would be real glad to see him anyway. There is no dial tone, just silence. Had someone cut the line? Stop it, Carrie, he told himself. Stop this paranoid craziness. You've got to. Still silence, no dial tone. Hello? He said to the silence. Carrie? A voice answered back. Someone was on the line. Yes? Carrie, I'm going to break every bone in your body. Every bone will crack. Every bone will bend and break. The voice was harsh, filled with venom. Sharon, don't you know that? 
But he suddenly knew it wasn't Sharon. He realized it wasn't her voice. It couldn't be her voice. You will die, Carrie, the voice continued, machine-like, all hatred and menace. But first you will suffer. Soon, I promise. First the bones will break. Smash. Smash. Just like your car. Then you will die. She hung up. She knew about the car. Whoever it was knew about the slashed tires and battered windows. And it wasn't Sharon. He knew now that it wasn't. He could hear that it wasn't. The voice was familiar, though. He realized that it was a voice he had known. Was it a voice from his childhood? A voice from his recent past? From the year he couldn't remember? The shakes had started again. He knew he was going to be violently ill again, too. He dialed the police station, the special number that only families could use. A few seconds later, his dad was on the line. Dad, it's Kerry. I think you'd better come home. His father seemed about to explode when Kerry told him about the car. But seeing Kerry pale and shaking, he stifled the outburst before it began, and immediately assumed a professional attitude. There probably aren't any prints worth dusting for, but I'll have Wainwright give it a try in the morning, he said in his Renko drawl. Carrie was relieved that his father had decided to play the role of policeman rather than outraged parent. He was often surprised by how considerate his father, normally a gruff and self-interested person, could be toward him. But then it suddenly dawned on Carrie that his father had been considerate of his feelings for an entire year, careful of every word he said, always on his guard not to start anything or say anything that would disturb his son or his son's memory. No wonder his father looked so much older. No wonder he had spent so little time at home. Being with Carrie was a constant strain. It could have been someone on the football team, Carrie said, fighting the shakes. Hmm, his father said, eyeing him thoughtfully. Let's talk about it in the morning. I think you've had enough for one night. We'll get the car towed over to O'Malley's for an estimate, and then we can talk, okay? Carrie smiled. Sure. He started toward the stairway to his room. The phone rang. He and his father stared at each other. The phone rang again. Dad, could you answer it? I've been getting some weird calls. I'm not surprised with your friends. What other kind of calls could you get? It was a feeble attempt at humor, but Carrie appreciated it. His father picked up the kitchen phone. Hello? He said, sounding annoyed. Yeah, yeah, he's here. Are you one of his weird callers? Carrie cringed. Maybe having his dad answer was a bad idea. His father handed him the phone. Someone named Mandy, he said. Said she was your date tonight. She doesn't sound too weird to me. I'll take it upstairs. Night, Dad. Thanks. His legs felt weak as he climbed the stairs. He picked up the phone and carried it over to the bed. Hello? He couldn't keep the weariness from his voice. I'm insulted, Mandy said, sounding kittenish. Why? Your father said I wasn't weird. That's only because he hasn't met you, Kerry said. They both laughed. I'm sorry I ran off like that. That must have seemed pretty weird, Mandy said. But I... I just had to get away. It was so ugly. Yeah, Carrie said. I had a nice time. I mean, I had fun with you. Me too, he said. He wanted to get under the covers. Was your dad mad about the car? Of course, but he's a cop. So he skipped being mad and went right into the plans for the investigation, Carrie said. Want to get together tomorrow? She asked. I didn't get to give you your good night kiss. She giggled. Was she teasing him? If it was going to be anything like the painful kiss she'd given him in the gym, he'd just as soon skip it, Carrie decided. His hand went to his lip, which was still swollen and painful. Tomorrow was Monday. But there's no school, she said quickly. Teacher's meetings. Come on, meet me in the afternoon. Meet me at that coffee shop a few blocks from the school. You know, with the striped awning and the big ice cream cone in the window. Phil's? Yeah, Phil's. Meet me there at three. 
I'd really like to talk to you. Okay, good, he said. What a switch. A girl was pleading with him to meet her. Good night, Carrie, she whispered. Wow, she was sexy. You know, I think pretty soon you and I are going to have something really special going. And then she hung up before he could say a word. I hear you got the car creamed. That was Sean's greeting at breakfast the next morning. Shut up, Sean, their father said, standing over a skillet of scrambled eggs. You're up early, Carrie said to his brother, who was seated at the kitchen table in pajama top and underpants. It was a mistake, Sean muttered. I forgot there was no school. Or probably go right back to bed after breakfast, Lieutenant Hart said, stirring the eggs vigorously. So vigorously, a large chunk of them fell out of the pan and onto the stove. How do you know, Sean said. Breakfast was spent avoiding the topic of what had happened. After breakfast, Lieutenant Hart handed Carrie a large vanilla envelope. Insurance forms, he said. I want you to deliver them for me to the insurance office. Do it this morning, okay? It's over on Grand Street, you know, in the Civic Center. You don't want me to come with you to look at the car? No, I think I know how to look at a car. Take the forms. I'll call you later to see how you're doing. He looked deeply into Carrie's eyes, as if looking for answers to all kinds of deep problems, then quickly looked away. Carrie started toward the stairs. Hey, Dad? Yeah? You don't think that... Donald, uh... Donald? Wreck the car? Lieutenant Hart looked more troubled than surprised by the suggestion. Carrie, what makes you say that? I don't know. Oh, I thought... He caught himself. After all this time, Carrie was realizing how careful his father always was around him, as if Carrie was a mental patient, too. For some reason, that thought stayed with him as he dressed, left the house, and caught the bus that would take him across town to the Civic Center. The thought was still circling his head, along with thoughts of Mandy, nice thoughts about Mandy. After he had dropped off the envelope for his father, he was walking up Grand Street, his hands in his pockets, not really noticing what was in the store windows, and he bumped into someone. Ow! Hey! Carrie! It's you! Why don't you watch where you're going? Margo? I don't believe it. I mean... I'm sorry. Margot Fremont smiled at him. She looked the same except her hair was shorter. Her smile faded quickly. You look awful. An accident, he said. His choice of words seemed to startle her. She jumped a little. Of course, she knew all about his accident the year before, too. Everyone knew. Everyone knew but Carrie. I got into a little fight. That's not like you, she said, grinning. How are things at Revere? Do they miss me? That's all anyone talks about, Carrie said. When will Margot come back and pay us a visit? The place isn't the same. It's fallen apart. The walls are crumbling. Everything since you left. I'm at Worthing Hill now, she said, rolling her eyes. I'm learning how to be snooty. Snooty 101. That's my first course. You learn to talk through your teeth without moving your jaw. You always were kind of preppy, Margot. Admit it. She put her nose in the air. Preppy? We don't associate with preppies. They're so common, don't you know? Listen, he said suddenly, remembering that he wanted to thank her. Mandy is terrific. What? Mandy. She's really great, he said. I'm glad to hear it, Margot said. For some reason, she was being sarcastic. Who the hell is Mandy? Come on, Margot, you know. The girl you fixed me up with, the blind date. That was really nice of you. I tried to call you, but you weren't home. Mandy? Mandy who? You're putting me on, right? Carrie, somebody's putting you on. But honey, it ain't me. You don't know Mandy Lawrence. Uh-uh. She shook her head to be more emphatic. You didn't fix me up with a blind date? Carrie, if your voice gets any higher, I'll have to rent a hot air balloon to fly up to hear you. No, I'm not. No, I don't. And no, I didn't. Carrie was absolutely speechless. Glad to hear she's great, Margot said sarcastically. Did she really call you up and say that I told her to? 
I think so, Carrie said, his mind trying to recapture that first conversation. I was sure she said that you... Well, maybe she thought she knew me or something. I don't know. Maybe you mixed me up with someone else, although I really don't see how it would be possible. Carrie didn't hear a word she was saying. There is something very strange about this. Mandy had definitely said it was Margot, more than once. Uh, great seeing you, Margot. Bye. He walked down the street, his mind spinning. Yes, sure, great seeing you too, Margot called after him. She shook her head and headed off in the other direction. Carrie was glad he was meeting Mandy in a few hours. He had to confront her with this. He had to find out the truth. For too long, he decided, the truth was something he had shut away in a forgotten corner of his brain. He made up his mind he was not going to do that anymore. He was going to confront the truth, no matter how much pain it caused, no matter what the danger was. He waited for an hour and a half at Phil's, but Mandy didn't show up. Chapter 13 The phone was ringing when he got home. Hi, Carrie. I'm sorry. I got hung up. Mandy, I tried to call you, but information had no listing. They didn't have any listing at all for Lawrence. There is a short silence. That's because the phone must be my mom's name, she said unconvincingly. Or was Carrie just becoming suspicious of everyone and everything? Francis, that's her name. She doesn't always use my dad's name. Oh, I see. Where were you? I wanted to talk to you. I wanted to talk to you, too. All of the soft sexiness was gone from her voice now. She sounded anxious, worried. I really wanted to, uh, listen, how about tonight? I don't know. I don't have a car. Dad doesn't like me to. I can get a car, she said quickly. I'll pick you up at 7.30. We'll just drive around. We'll cruise Main Street. You know, like in the movies. He laughed. You just want to park, he said. I know you're kind. I might, she said, her teasing voice back. You might be talking me into this, he said, cheering up. So what if Margot hadn't fixed them up, he thought to himself. She was still terrific. She was about the only thing that was going right for him. So, I'll pick you up at 7.30? You've got a date, he said. When he hung up the phone, he had a broad smile on his face. I don't know what you're smiling about, Lieutenant Hart said walking into the kitchen, grabbing a handful of cookies from an open bag, and stuffing them into his mouth two at a time. The oof, 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 oof. What? Carrie asked. His father swallowed. The car is going to cost more than six hundred dollars. Have some more cookies, Carrie said. They sat down at the kitchen table and had a long talk. Carrie told him just about everything that had happened to him since the accident on the practice field that had broken Sal's leg. He started slowly, reluctantly, not sure how much he wanted to reveal, how much of the pain, how much of the fear he wanted to share with his father. But then it all came out in a torrent of words. The threats, the phone calls late at night, the practical jokes, the friends who no longer talked to him, the beating on the basketball court, everything. His father rubbed the bridge of his nose with his fingers, closed his eyes, tilted back the kitchen chair. Every once in a while he'd make a note jotting a few words in a fast scribble on a small white pad. A few times, he shook his head wearily as if to say, These kids today. Carrie told him everything that had happened except for his growing relationship with Mandy. Somehow he felt that to include that with all the horrors of the past few weeks would be to taint it, to ruin it in some way. He needed to keep the one good thing happening to him private. He had to keep it separate and clean. Who was this girl who called last night, this Mandy, his father asked. Lieutenant Hart was not a bad policeman. He never let a detail slip by him. Carrie smiled, impressed. She was a blind date. She lives on Sizemore. 
Her family just moved here. She just started at Revere. We... She's okay. I mean, I kind of like her. You going to see her again? His father jotted something down. Yeah, tonight. Lieutenant Hart frowned. You probably shouldn't go out much at night for a while. Not until we figure out who's been doing all this. The threat of not being able to see Mandy made Terry angry. Well, Dad, I can't just pull a shell over my head like a turtle. I didn't mean that. I just think that. Well, we're only going to drive around. We're not going anywhere, Kerry said, sounding childish and knowing it. Only going to drive around, huh? His father laughed. He pulled himself up to his feet. Well, I don't know. You can get into an awful lot of trouble without getting out of the car, you know, fella? He laughed again. Kerry could feel his face turning red. He never liked it when his dad teased him about sex. I gotta go into the station, Lieutenant Hart said, looking for his cap. We've got a real problem here, Carrie. This has all gone beyond a teenage prank stage. I don't know how seriously we should take the death threats from this girl on the phone. Probably not serious at all. But you never know. It wouldn't hurt to play it safe. Lie low for a while till we flush this person or persons out. He found the cap on the mantle and pulled it down onto his bald head. I know you're not going to like this, but I've got to get the school involved in the investigation. Dad! Carrie stopped before he began. He knew there was no way he could stop his father, and his father was right. He'd had enough of the threats and the fear. He was happy that his dad was getting involved in this. He nodded and didn't say anything. Lieutenant Hart put a hand on Carrie's shoulder, then headed toward the door and his patrol car. Be careful, son. Yeah, sure, Dad. Thanks. Call me for any reason, okay? Yeah, okay. The door slammed. Carrie sat at the kitchen table, staring at the chair that had just held his father. He felt a little better. Somehow, it made him feel more secure just having told the details to his father. He felt secure for nearly a minute. Then the phone rang. The fear jumped back into his chest. He let it ring. Again. Again. He began to shake. This was crazy. He had to answer it. He couldn't live in terror of the telephone. He picked up the receiver and lifted it slowly to his ear. Hello? There was loud static at the other end, the sound you hear from payphones on crowded street corners. Hello? Carrie repeated. Carrie. He recognized the voice immediately, even though he hadn't heard it in over a year. Carrie, this is Donald. Donald? Carrie's voice came out weak and small. His hand was trembling so hard he could barely hold the receiver. Carrie, be careful. I'm coming. Slam. What happened? Oh no, Kerry thought. He had accidentally hung up. Without thinking, he had slammed down the receiver. His heart pounding in his chest, he sat and stared at the phone, waiting for Donald to call back. But he didn't. Those words, Donald's words, were they meant to be reassuring? Be careful. I'm coming. Why did they sound like a threat? Chapter 14 It got dark so early in the fall. By 5.30 the sun was down behind the hills. By 7.30 it was as black as midnight, and the air was cold and heavy with frost. Carrie stood at the living room window, staring into the darkness, waiting for Mandy, thinking about Donald. A straight black cloud, narrow as a ribbon, floated across the moon, cutting it into two half-moons. Normally he wouldn't have even noticed it, but tonight he was looking for signs, signs of strangeness, omens of what was to happen. He felt uncomfortable, out of place in his own body. He wasn't an emotional person, ask anyone. They'd describe him as easygoing, maybe even bland. Donald had always been the one for tantrums and emotional scenes, 
long, heated arguments that ended in screaming and tears. Not Carrie. He'd walk away from any kind of dispute, or make a joke. But tonight he felt different. He kept having the urge to cry. Then it would disappear, and he'd feel really happy, too happy. He was on an emotional roller coaster, and as 7.30 drew near, the ride went faster. The emotions changed more rapidly. Guess I'm just tired, he told himself. At a quarter to eight, Mandy pulled up the hill and honked her horn. He stared out the window at the car she was driving. It was a brand new Pontiac Firebird. The two halves of the divided moon reflected off the shiny hood. He jogged out of the house, letting the screen door slam behind him. She pushed open the car door and the light came on inside. He saw that the car was black with bright red interior, shiny red leather bucket seats, and a red dashboard. Well, I'm impressed, he said, leaning into the car and rubbing his hand over the leather seat back. It doesn't take much to impress you, does it, she said, grabbing his arm and pulling him down into the low bucket seat. She squeezed his hand and held on to it. I hope you don't spend the whole night talking about the car. You haven't even looked at me. I'm jealous already. He looked at her. She was wearing jeans and a big wool poncho. A furry, loose-fitting poncho with a 60s-style fringe all down the front. I like your, uh, sweater thing, he said, pulling on a strand of fringe. Really? I made it. She smiled, pleased at the compliment. It must have taken a long time, he said. I had a long time, she said, her smile fading. So where'd you get this boss car? She leaned forward, put the car into drive, and began to turn it around. Listen, I'm really sorry about this afternoon. I hope you didn't wait too long. Oh no, only an hour and a half, he said, a little of his anger at being stood up returning. Oh, I feel terrible. She gave him a devilish smile and put a hand just above his left knee. Maybe I can make it up to you, he smiled. Maybe I'll let you. I was on my way to meet you, but, well, it's sort of a long story. Where do you want to go? I don't know. We don't have much choice, do we? Around here you can either drive through town or drive through the hills. Let's drive through town and then through the hills, she said. Okay, I'm game. He scooted down in the seat. The leather felt smooth and cold. The car hummed softly as she pointed it down the sloping road toward town. The heater was turned on high. The warm air blowing up at him made him feel comfortable, happy, even a little drowsy. Tell me your long story, he said, not letting her off the hook. She frowned and bit her lower lip. With her blonde hair flowing free to her shoulders, and in that old-fashioned woolly poncho, she really did look like someone from another time. There was something sad about her, he suddenly thought. Then he realized it was probably his emotional roller coaster plunging over another steep hill. Why was he going up and down like that? I don't want to, she said, a bit annoyed. I'll force you to, he said, teasing. How will you do that? I'll tickle you, she smiled. I'm not ticklish. Everyone is ticklish somewhere, he said, trying to make it sound dirty. I'm not, she said, still smiling. Oh. She swerved the car. It hit a bump and bounced over a ditch. She pulled the wheel back and then got them back on the road. It was an animal, she said. It ran right under the tires. Yuck. Carrie's heart was pounding. Forget about the tickling, he said. I'm not doing any tickling while you're driving. Are you okay? Yeah, I guess so. She leaned forward, staring intently out at the dark road. There were no streetlights in this section of the hills, and the road curved steeply as it made its way down toward town. Did you see it? What was it? It felt like an elephant, he said. Maybe we should go somewhere. Maybe you don't want to spend the whole evening behind the wheel. No, she protested quickly. No, really. I like to drive. I'd rather just stay in the car tonight and talk. I, well, maybe I will tell you why I didn't meet you this afternoon. I don't know. 
I can't decide. Sounds pretty heavy, he said. She hit another bump. He felt a tire skid over the pebbly asphalt. Hey, slow down. Oh, sorry. Gee, I was doing 65. It doesn't feel like it in this car. She suddenly seemed very nervous. She peered into the rearview mirror. It was black. You must think I've been acting a little weird lately, she said, easing her foot off the gas. Well, I mean, you don't really know me or anything, so maybe you think I'm just weird, but... That's it, Carrie said. That's what I think. He meant it as a joke, but she took it seriously. Well, I don't blame you. I have been a little strange out, but I... You see, there's a reason. I wasn't going to tell you about it. I mean, you've got enough problems. That's an understatement, he said. I don't know if it's fair of me to add any more. But I also don't want you to think I'm nuts or something. There is a reason why I've... I mean, why I didn't show up and why... She was silent for a long moment. They stopped at the traffic light at the bottom of the hill. There were no cars around, but they waited for the long red light to change. Then she started moving slowly. The road was flat and straight now. The wooded hills gave way to neat, orderly suburban houses. Well, I realize this is going to make me sound even more nuts, she said, staring straight ahead lowering her voice until it was nearly a whisper. But I know I'm not. I know this is true. It's just that... What is it? Carrie asked impatiently. He was immediately sorry he hadn't covered his impatience. He could see that she was really upset, and finding it difficult to tell him the reason. Well, I think someone's been following me. I mean, I know it. They turned the corner onto Wellmore and drove past elementary school. All of the lights were on, but the school was deserted. Why? Carrie asked. Who would follow you? I don't know why, she said. Then she hesitated for a long time. But I think I know who. Well, come on, he said impatiently. Who? She turned her head to look him in the eye. Donald. Your brother Donald. The car bumped against the curve, narrowly missing a parked car. Mandy, watch the road, he cried. Sorry, she said frowning, turning the wheel hard to the left. Why would my brother be following you, Kerry asked. As he asked the question, Donald's voice on the phone came back to him. Be careful. I'm coming. I told you. I don't know why, she said shrilly. Be careful. I'm coming. Why on earth would Donald be following Mandy? Was he coming after both of them? This is getting too bizarre, Carrie said. I knew you'd think I'm nuts, she said dejectedly. She turned onto Sycamore. I don't think you're nuts, he said. I think the world is nuts. Donald called me tonight and said... Then he stopped. A thought burst into his mind. Hey, how do you know my brother Donald? The question seemed to fluster her. She stared straight out the windshield, squinting her deep blue eyes as an oncoming car cast its yellow headlights at them. I didn't say I knew your brother, she said finally. I just said he was following me. At least, I think he is following me. Her answer didn't really satisfy him. He started to repeat his question. Then he realized they were driving past the house on Sycamore. The house he had thought was hers, Amanda's house. Was she deliberately slowing down as they drove past the house? No, it couldn't be possible. Then why was she driving so slowly? And why did she have that weird, distant smile on her face? He glanced at the house, completely dark, completely deserted looking. He knew the sad couple was inside. He saw their faces again, their looks of horror when they recognized him. Why, Carrie, you got so pale. What's the matter? Was she mocking him? Was she being sarcastic? No. Stop it, Carrie, he told himself. He was starting to be suspicious of everyone. He couldn't let that happen. He couldn't. She turned right onto Hickory. The school was a few blocks down. Nothing, he told her. I'm okay. The sad faces of Amanda's parents stayed with him. Why had she driven down Sycamore? 
That's why I disappeared for a while at the dance Sunday night, she said, breaking into his morbid thoughts. I thought I saw Donald in the gym. But that's impossible, Carrie cried. But he realized it wasn't impossible. Then I thought he was watching us in the parking lot. That's why I ran for the bus. You saw him there? You actually saw him there? Carrie asked, not wanting to believe any of it. Well, I didn't really see him, only his shadow. She shook her shoulders, a violent shiver. It made him feel bad that he was questioning her so suspiciously. When I went into town to meet you this afternoon, I saw the same shadow, she said. I turned around, but there was no one there. I guess he didn't want me to see him. But I knew he was there. I knew. She bit her purple lips nervously. So you were at the restaurant. You were at Phil's? Outside it. But he was right behind me. I ran. I got back into the car. I had to get away from him. I was so scared. Her shoulders began to shake violently up and down. He put a hand on her shoulder to calm her. Let's stop talking about it now, he said softly, soothingly. Drive up into the South Hills. We'll park by the point and talk. Talk? At the point? She gave him a sly smile. Yeah, talk, he said. For a while, anyway, he laughed. But he didn't really feel like laughing. They rode in silence up through the low hills. The moon was completely covered by clouds now. Even though it was still early, there were few cars on the road. After a while, the silence began to make him feel uncomfortable. Everything was making him feel uncomfortable tonight. He struggled to think of something to say, a new subject, something different to talk about. He squinted. The car coming toward them had its brights on. The bright white beams of light were blinding against the deep black of the night. I ran into Margot in town. She said she didn't know you, he said. Why had he said it? He wasn't going to mention it. It had just slipped out in his eagerness to say something. Hey, Mandy, no, look out! She swerved the car toward the center of the road, into the path of the oncoming car.